Under the Tartan Sky, episode 57, produced 8 January 2019. Would you be surprised to learn that Scotland's national animal is the unicorn, a mythical beast of great power and wisdom? Sadly, if you believe the Irish rover's old unicorn song, it was the one animal Noah was forced to leave behind. And so, to this very day, you're not going to see no unicorn. Instead, Scotland is perhaps best known for the legend of Nessie, the Loch Ness Monster. Whether real or imagined, the story has survived for centuries. But Scotland is and has been home to a variety of other unique and often heroic animals. Among them were cats and coos, pigeons and penguins, and many more. I'm Glenn Moyer, and in a moment, we'll visit with a transplanted American writer working on a new book called Scotland's Animal Superstars. The petting zoo gathers here, under the tartan sky. Scotland offers many things to many people. Its history is filled with stories of great leaders like William Wallace and Robert the Bruce, of battles like Bannockburn and Culloden. Its culture includes whiskey and tartan, castles and clans. It's a land of great literature, invention and innovation, of sweeping vistas and great glens and shimmering lochs. For millions around the world, Scotland is key to their ancestry, to who they are, to where they've come from. It's a haven for wildlife and a paradise for sport. Indeed, Scotland has something for almost everyone. In 2019, why not plan to visit and discover for yourself just what Scotland has to offer for you? Scotland's history and mythology is well populated with stories of amazing and heroic animals. There was the unicorn and Nessie, of course, the Kelpies and the well-known Greyfriars Bobby, to name a few. And more recently, having just passed away in 2014, there was Hamish McHamish of St. Andrews, the cool cat about town. Volumes have been written about all of these, but an American animal lover, recently transplanted to Scotland, is working on a new book. Scotland's animal superstars that will share the stories of perhaps lesser known, if not less heroic, animals. Kimberly Hamilton is a writer by trade, a screenwriter for films, a travel writer for tourism, and a budding children's author. Her first visit to Scotland was 30 years ago as a student. More recently, she's returned, and as we seem to hear more often than not these days, her return was thanks in part to Outlander. I'll let her pick up the story from there. Well, I had a, a dear friend that I'd met 30 years ago here in Scotland. For years, she'd been telling me to read these Outlander books. But I'm more of a nonfiction person. I don't read fiction very often, so I just kept putting it off. I finally started reading them, and the first volume, I read it 
cover to cover in one go. I mean, I just did not put that book down. I loved it. I read all the books and I decided for my 50th birthday, I was going to treat myself to an Outlander tour, which turned out to be fabulous. It was really great. Met some wonderful friends and it was um, led by a clan chieftain of all things. And we went to a lot of different places where they filmed the show and got some behind the scenes details about the filming and the books and the author. And it was just the, it was just lovely to come back to Scotland and have that experience. Okay. And so is that what inspired you to move to Scotland then was the tour? Well, <laughs> it's a romantic story. Glenn. Okay. Um, my friend that had, uh, told me about the Outlander books. I had worked for her years ago at a sweet shop in Aberdeen that she owned with her brother, John. And uh, I hadn't really talked to John much over the years, but I'd always kept touch with Diane. And she told him, hey, Kimberly's coming back to Scotland on an Outlander tour. And he asked me out to dinner. And we had this kind of long distance romance for about seven months before I came over. And one thing led to another, and now we're engaged, and I'm oh. living in Scotland. Well, congratulations on the engagement. That is a, it's a sweet story and a sweet romantic story. <laughs> it's a, kind of a crazy, crazy, never dreamed that that was going to happen 30 years ago when I knew them here. But um, I never knew I would end up back in Scotland again, but I did always love it. I've loved the history and the culture, and um, yeah, I just somehow, I just ended up back here, and I'm really happy. Well, it's quite a change from sunny Southern California. I lived in Sacramento for a number of years, uh, which is Northern California, but still quite a different uh, climate from what uh, I've experienced in Scotland. Um, are you adapting to the change well? Well, they say that the weather has been better here since I've come over. Apparently, like this summer, they said that was the nicest summer that they've had yeah. since like 1976. Um, to me, it didn't feel like summer. It felt like spring. It was lovely. I kept waiting. <laughs> I kept waiting for the summer heat to come. Um, so they were all laughing at me because I was just expecting it to get hotter like it does back in L.A. But, you know, it really wasn't bad. I hadn't seen snow for several decades uh, when I came over here. Um, there wasn't much snow here in Aberdeen, but we went out into the highlands and yeah, there was snow. And I really just am trying to embrace it. And it makes a lot of difference when you have the proper equipment and clothing. It made a big, big difference. So I'm just rolling with it. Yeah, it's um, I've got many friends there, and I, I always chuckle, especially this past summer, when uh, I start seeing posts about how you know, oh, we're roasting over here, and it's and it's in the low eighties, and and I'm here in Louisiana, and it's a hundred and three. Exactly, it's like yeah, it's exactly what my my thought was as well. But um, but then you know, I see it works the other way too. I mean, I see people here out in the dead of winter. I'll see people out walking their dogs in shorts and a t-shirt, and I've got on um, like a ski parka and you know a thick Aaron sweater I mean it's just what you're used to what you're brought up with I guess so yeah yeah I think so and I've always been told um how you know how uh dreeks the weather is in Scotland and and I've now spent a total of nine weeks there uh over four different trips and uh maybe I've been blessed because I've experienced really very wonderful weather I, I've not really had any bad weather yet knock on wood I'm coming back next summer so who knows but Maybe it's the time of year, but I've been there in the dead of winter. I spent Christmas in, in uh, Hogmanay in Edinburgh in uh, 2014. And even the winter was, there were days when I would wake up and check the temperature, and it was colder here in Louisiana than it was in uh, uh, where I was staying just outside of Edinburgh. So 
Yeah, who knows? <laughs> who knows, you know, but, but I have to say on a lovely winter day with a clear sky and the sun out, even when you're, you're all bundled up, it's just great to be outside outdoorsy. And then, you know, you go somewhere and have a proper cup of tea, you know, you just, uh, in experiencing the seasons over here, which we don't really have as much in Los Angeles. So I'm just learning to, to appreciate the beauty of, uh, of the winter season that I haven't for a long, long time. Yeah. Now you, uh, you mentioned wanting to write children's books and, and you're well into that now. In fact, you have a new book that you're working on. We're going to talk about that at length, but prior to that, you've published two other, is it fair to call rebel cats and rebel dogs children's books? Well, they started out as children's books, but they've kind of evolved into just something for all cat lovers, like anyone eight and up, that it's not really written for a very young audience. So they're for everyone. Rebel Cats is out in bookshops right now. Rebel Dogs is still in production. Uh, it's a, I'll be working on the copy edits for that very soon, and that will be coming out next summer. Um, but yeah, that all happened since I've come here to Scotland. I just, I don't know, the stars were in alignment when I moved to Scotland, and uh, that dream came true. I know from looking at your social media that you're an animal lover. When and where did that come about? How did, how did animals enter your life? Well, I've always been an animal lover, and I think I probably started really getting involved with the animal rights movement when I read Charlotte's Web, of all things, when I was a child. Um, I never ate meat again after reading that book, and I've always just you know, worked for uh, animal charities, animal organizations over the years. I'm on the board of a charity in Los Angeles that helps homeless cats. Um, I actually never had a cat myself until about five years ago. Uh, and now I am just a committed, passionate cat lover. So. <laughs> well, that's, that's something we share in common. I've had cats all my life and, um, uh, and can't imagine life without one. Quite honestly, it's when, when one unfortunately leaves my life, it's not long before a new one comes into my life. And, and I've been that way ever since I was a, a, a just a, a wee tot. So, um, that's certainly something we have in common. So Rebel Cats is, if I'm correct, it's 25 individual stories about unique cats all around the world. Tell me a little bit about the book and how it all came to be. Uh, there's 30 cats 30. In, okay. in the book. Yep, there's 30 cats. It started out when I came across the story of a little cat in France that actually was sent up into outer space. Her name was Feliciette. And I had never heard about this cat. And I just wondered, I wonder what other cats there are out there that are really interesting or have done something extraordinary with their life, not just because of who owned them, but something they did with them for their own selves. And so I just started doing some research and I found one and then another one and another one. And I just thought this would make a great book. And so I pitched it to an agent in Edinburgh and she pitched it to Scholastic and uh, away we went. So it's now been published or it's being translated into 11 different languages. Um, There are cat lovers all over the world. So uh, it's been very exciting to see the response to this book. And so they decided to do uh, Rebel Dogs after that. And um, again, once you start doing the research, there's so many unsung heroes out there in the animal world. And I just really wanted to give them their 15 minutes of fame. They deserve it. So how did you go about locating and, and finding these cats and learning of their stories? 
Um, most of it was just, it was all just research that I did online or with books. Um, it was just a lot of research. Um, about Only about five of the cats in the book are still among the living. Um, most of them are um, have lived, you know, some lived, centuries ago, some lived, you know, back in the 1950s, some lived in the 1980s, you know, but they, they've since passed on. But um, but there are stories out there. And I just did a lot of research, which is one of the things I love to do. So it was just, and then I just recently went down to Glen Turret Distillery, which was the home of Towser, who's one of the cats in the book. And she is a Guinness World Record holder. She's the world's deadliest distillery cat. And she killed, they estimated about 29,000 mice in her lifetime. So I finally got a chance to go visit her old haunts uh, down at a little distillery outside of Perth. And um, it was just great. She's still, you know, she's passed away in 1987, but she's still like a celebrity there at the distillery. They sell posters of her and pillows with her picture on it and special blends of whiskey that are, you know, Towser's blend. It's just, it's just great. She's still very much a part of the heritage there. I know um, you shared with me a post you'd written about that, and they also, I, I was reminded, they also have a statue of Towser, and I was reminded mm-hmm. immediately, of course, of the story of uh, Greyfriars Bobby, and, right. uh, and of course, the statue that's erected to, to that famous uh, Scottish dog, um, and, and I was surprised to find that there's, a, now I, it's something I have to go see on my next visit to Scotland, that there's a statue of a cat in Scotland. I thought that was just so cool. Yep, Towser's there. There's also there's other statues of cats around Scotland too, like Hamish McHamish, yes. which was a town cat in St Andrews. There's a statue to him there, and um, there might be some other ones as well. But I'm just determined to make pilgrimages to all of them. And you were sharing with me that Towser, as you said, has passed on, but as being a distillery, and, and as you discussed, uh, because there's so much grain involved in the making of whiskey, where there's grain, there's going to be mice. And so I guess it's common for almost every distillery, if not everyone, to have a distillery cat, a mouser, if you will. And so they have a couple of new ones there at Towser, and one of them is named Glenn, which I think is brilliant. <laughs> Glenn and then his friend Turret, which I just think is so funny. Glenn and Turret at the Glen Turret. They don't uh, store as much grain as they used to because um, I was asking, so how good a mousers are Glenn and Turret? And they say, well, <laughs> they don't have to catch many mice anymore because there's not as much grain as there used to be on site. Um, but uh, pretty much they're there for photo opportunities. Um, with uh, visitors to the distillery, and they're very popular, very friendly cats. So, and I wanted to get into it that uh, I'm going to jump a bit ahead a bit of my planning, but I wanted to get into uh, animals on social media. And uh, as you said, since uh, Glenn and and Turret are there largely, probably as as social icons for the distillery, photo ops, etc. There are some. Uh, in fact, we met through um, a cat on social media. Strangely enough, there's a cat in Scotland named Parsley that has mm-hmm. its own Facebook page. And I know there are uh, a couple of dogs on Twitter. Um, uh, there's a Twitter account for the Wee White Dog or Wee White Doug, as they call them, um, yep. that runs around Scotland. And another one called uh, Our Blaze, Our Blaze, uh, that I think is uh, mostly up on Sky. What's your take as an animal lover on uh, on accounts like that? With animals having a presence, uh, albeit through their uh, their associated humans, of course, uh, on social media. 
Well, I, I love the I love uh, the wee white dog. Um, Casper is his name. He's a right. little Westie. And I read about um, his owner, Sam Grant, said that she was a travel blogger for quite some time. But the posts that would get the most interest were always the ones that had photographs of Casper in it. So she just decided, you know what, I'm just going to focus this whole thing around him. And it just um, that's kind of her shtick for that for that blog. And it works wonderfully. He just goes all over Scotland and he's just, you know, has his where's a Casper now? You know, he's at this castle. Yeah. He's at this castle. It's just it's wonderful. Well, and as I was saying, you and I met uh, through Parsley, which is a cat that I think you're going to, to have an opportunity to go meet. And uh, she has a Facebook account that I've been following. And so what's the relationship there with with, uh, with Parsley? Well, I, oops, I read about Parsley. Um, he was a town cat, much in the same vein that like Hamish McHamish was in St. Andrews. And I'd never been to Oban, uh, where he lives. So I reached out to uh, his cat, human companion, um, Fiona, and she invited us out to Oban to meet Parsley. So um, I just loved his story. He just has the run of the town. He's like the town's cat. He, he goes everywhere. Um, he's a much beloved figure in town. And I just thought, you know, he's like a an ambassador for the town of Oban, which I just thought was lovely. He really is. And, and he even has his own cafe nights, I think, where people, uh, anyone can come and, and meet Parsley. And, and sadly, I didn't know about him. I was in Oban this past summer on my visit to Scotland for a day trip with some friends there. And I didn't know of Parsley at that time. So I'm disappointed that I didn't because I, I missed an opportunity probably to get to meet Parsley. But oh, you have to go back. They call it the One Cat Cafe, which I just yeah. think is a hilarious thing. It's like it's a riff on your typical cat cafe where there's like a dozen cats, but in, in open, it's just the one cat cafe, which is just great. <laughs> well, from what I've seen of Parsley, I don't think he would be willing to share the spotlight with a bunch of no, other cats. <laughs> no, he seems like he's a, he's full on. He looks like a great little guy. I can't wait to meet him. Well, let's talk about the new book. It, it is Superstar Animals of Scotland. Is that correct? It's Animal uh, Scotland's Animal Superstars, okay. which I'm writing for an independent publisher that's based out on the Isle of Lewis, out in the Outer Hebrides. They're called Cranachan Books, and this is their first nonfiction title. Um, and I just thought I hadn't seen many books about the animals of Scotland, except you know the iconic animals like you know the deer and um the red squirrels and things like that but there are a lot of really interesting animals that have lived over the years in scotland that you wouldn't expect you know would be heroes um and so i've come i've collected 25 uh, different ones that i'm going to be profiling in that book um like one of them was a pigeon uh, that was the first animal to be awarded a Dickin Medal for valor during World War II. Um, she delivered a message from a downed um, a boat that was down in the North Sea. They'd been shot down by a plane, and she was the only way that they could get a message back that they were, you know, drowning in the North Sea. And she got the message there, and she saved the whole squadron. And so she was awarded a Dickin Medal. So she was one of the first World War II heroes um, that came out of Scotland that was an animal that was recognized. So she's in the book for sure. And there's 24 other ones that I just thought were interesting, had interesting stories or were heroic in some way or did something interesting with their lives. And so this is a it's a nonfiction book, obviously, because these are true stories about animals that have actually lived. 
Is this going then to be a children's book, or is this more along the line of Rebel Cat, something that any animal lover could enjoy? I think it's something any animal lover can enjoy. It's a smaller book, um, so it's kind of like like the Rebel Cats book is usually found in the children's section, though um, most bookstores are learning now to put it both in the children's section and in like the animal section. So it's written for like children eight and up, um, but it will apply to anyone that loves animals. And it's a great It'll be a great book for people that are visiting Scotland, maybe visiting some of these different towns like uh, St. Andrews um, or Roslyn Chapel outside of Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. There's a a cat there, William, who is a chapel cat. Um, I'm going to be profiling him in the book. And there's just a, a lot of really interesting animals. The first polar bear cub. In Scotland, uh, he lives out at the Highland Wildlife Center. Hamish, he's going to be in the book. And um, there's a penguin. This is very interesting. He's now the third of his kind. A penguin at Edinburgh Zoo called Sir Niles Olaf. He's a brigadier. He's <laughs> part of the Norwegian military. He actually has a rank. And they come every year. The Norwegian military representatives come and they, they meet with, you know, Sir Niles. He's a penguin. I just I just think this is just an extraordinary story. Um, but it's, it's a long relationship between Scotland and Norway. And I love that history um, and that relationship. And that's why I wanted to profile him in the book to kind of play that up and explain it to people. So I, I guess the, uh, the same question again, then, as you or as you've been putting this book together, how do you you say online research, but how do you go about finding some of these stories? I mean, you just don't Google, you know, animals of Scotland, I would think, and come up with some of these unique stories. You know, I've just been um, keeping my ear to the ground, talking to people. Um, I read I. I do a lot of the research online, but then when I, the great thing about the Scotland book is that I get to go and meet some of these um, Mm. animals in person myself, which I couldn't do as much with the Rebel Cats book. Um, So that's why I'm going, you know, Parsley's on the list. I'm going to go down and see William. Socks, the Shetland pony, who was very famous in some commercial television commercials years ago. Um, I'm hoping to go up to Shetland Islands to see him. Um, there's just uh, I can go to a lot of different places because Scotland's a pretty small country and you can drive to all these places in it within a day. So it's just going to be great to have that firsthand experience with the animals that are going in in Scotland's animal superstars. Now, will we see um, photographs, paintings of the animals in the book as well? How will it be illustrated? I think it's mostly going to be photographs because, again, most of these, um, most of them are still living, or they lived recently enough that there's photographs of the, of them. Um, so I think it'll be mostly, you know, like archival fo- photographs of them, or ones that I take myself uh, while I'm out doing my interviews, my face-to-face interviews with them. Well, you know, there's been a lot written about the Outlander effect in regard to Scotland, and clearly, I suppose we could apply that to you. Uh, the Outlander effect, basically, um, uh, the idea that that the books and now the television series have inspired uh, an increase in tourism to Scotland to come and and learn more about the beautiful country, its history, its culture, as well as to see the sites, um, many of which are historic. Obviously, that uh, were the the television series has been filmed. Um, are, are you expecting perhaps that, uh, that your book might have a, a similar effect? Might this encourage um, animal lovers to come and, and visit and meet some of these uh, historic animals of Scotland? 
Oh, I would love it if that happened. That would be great. Um, I think that a lot of these animals, you know, deserve to to be stars in their own right, you know. I also think it's a great way to approach the history and culture of Scotland from a slightly different perspective, um, especially for families that might be traveling here with um, with their kids, maybe teenagers or, or younger children. It's just a different way to help them access the history and make it relevant to them. Um, like one of the one of the animals that's in the book is a tortoise named Torty, and she would live to be about 170 years old, of all things, at My Drum goodness. Castle uh, here in Aberdeenshire. And the people at Drum that I spoke to, they're going to be um, giving me some more information about this extraordinary tortoise that saw many things in her long life. And they said, this will be great for the kids that come here because it, you know, they have pets at home and it can help them relate to the people that used to live here in this castle, maybe in a way that they wouldn't have otherwise, just by looking at the paintings and the architecture. But to, to learn about this pet that lived here, a family pet that belonged to the kids that lived here, that might be a way for them to kind of relate more to the story. And it's all about storytelling for me, just, you know, new ways of telling the stories of Scotland and its history and culture in a different way for a different generation. Well, beyond cats and dogs, obviously the new book will feature uh, all variety of animals, but uh, you touched on a moment ago, Scotland has some amazing wildlife um, from uh, golden eagles to one of my favorites, the puffins, um, <laughs> to you know the black the black faced sheep, the uh, the red squirrels, uh, certainly the the shaggy Highland coos. Um, do you have a favorite uh, wild animal of Scotland that you found over there? Uh, well, you know, I met um, for the first time uh, last Christmas. They brought a lot of the reindeer down from oh, the yeah. Cairngorm Mountains, which I hadn't realized that they were reindeer here in Scotland. They brought them over years ago from um, Finland, I believe, up in the high reaches of Scandinavia. And they brought them here because the climate up in the Cairngorm Mountains is very similar. And they've had a very successful breeding program. So at Christmas time, they brought them down, you know, so we could actually see a reindeer close up there was a parade it was just it was just wonderful to see them so i have a soft spot for them and the heelan coup that you mentioned yes i had never laid eyes on one until i went on my outlander tour and i think um it was a bunch of americans it was six other american women and myself and we'd never seen a, a heelan coup as they say here and our driver kept having to stop every time we saw a field we'd all kind of scream and he'd have to pull over and we would take photographs because they're just so charming and adorable that um uh we just couldn't get enough of taking photographs of them and yeah. I'm, I'm profiling a very famous one in in the uh Scotland's Animal Superstars book named Hamish, Hamish the Helen Coo. So um, it's a fun story to talk about. Yeah, the um, I'm a little jealous because in in my four trips over there, I've yet to have uh, what I consider to be a uh, an up close experience with a, a Helen Coo. And um, I, I've on my last trip, uh, some friends took me on a day tour around Argyll and Butte, which is when I was down in Oban, and I expressed that desire. And so she took me to uh, a location where um, there were a couple in a field, but they were so far away um, oh, no. <laughs> that you know they just kind of looked like regular old cows to me. Um, well, come I, I, back. I, you come back this summer. Yeah, uh, we'll have to meet up. And I know some places where you for sure will be able to see one up oh, close. Well, so. that. 
that's on my bucket, my Scottish bucket list is to have an up close. Uh, <laughs> that's a good list to have. I yeah, love it. An, an encounter with a Helan coo. And it's funny because whenever I, I write about uh, uh, Scotland and, and the, the Helan coos or the Highland cows, if you want to use it in the American vernacular, um, anytime I publish something on my social media and use the word coo, someone always says, Wait, don't you mean cow? <laughs> and and, and uh, no, I'm not misspelling it. That's just what they're called over there. So you know, I can't even say it. I can't even say it the the proper American way now. Anymore. I know. I say Helen Coo. Yeah, oh, that's it, a good way. I know them now. Yeah, so. it's hard to. I I call them you know either Helen Coos or, or Shaggy Coos, but you know it's hard to use the word it, cow. Just doesn't no. seem seem to fit anymore. They are amazing animals. Well, I'd be remiss, I guess, since we're talking Scotland and you're in Scotland and we're talking animals, if I didn't bring up, of course, the two probably most famous um, mythological Scottish animals, and that, of course, is Nessie and the official animal of Scotland, which is the unicorn. Is Nessie real? I think Nessie is real. I think there's a time portal at the bottom of that lock, Glenn. I'm convinced. Um, I just, I love, I just love the folklore around it. It's, I mean, I, I think it was back in the eighth century or something um, that Nessie was first reported by a Catholic monk or a Catholic saint or something. I mean, the story has just been around for centuries and centuries and it just isn't going away. Um, in fact, I think they're doing a whole new documentary or a film about it right now. They're filming it right now. There are some people out there that are just utterly convinced that she is real. Um, so I like to call her the Loch Ness creature, not the Loch Ness monster. Cause I think monster <laughs> has a negative connotation and I think Nessie is a, a benevolent creature. So, but I would love to think that there is a time portal at the bottom of the deep, deepest, darkest lock in Scotland. I like, I like that story and I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> okay. And how cool is it to, to now be living in a country where the official animal is a, a mythological beast, the unicorn? When people first told me that the unicorn was Scotland's national animal, which I just love unicorns, I, I really thought that they were pulling my leg. But it is absolutely true. And it's very interesting, just the history, like, how did that happen? You know, <laughs> but, um, it's, it's there's a whole lot of historical reasons of why they chose that animal. And it's all just relates so well with Scottish national identity and pride. It's just perfect when you read about the story about it. So um, I might have to allude to that and maybe the introduction to my Scotland's Animal Superstars book just to um, pay a little homage to those animals because they are just amazing. Well, I, I'm excited to to have learned about the book, and I can't wait to get my hands on a copy of it in time uh, to enjoy it before I come over again next summer. Um, remind me again, the publisher, and, and when is it coming out, and, and where will be, people be able to go and find it? Uh, it will be coming out in the spring of 2019, and it's published by Cranachan Books, which is based right here in Scotland, which I just love that they're a local publisher. Um, again, it's our first nonfiction title, so we're all really excited about it. And it should be available anywhere, Amazon. You can reach it on Amazon, and we also hope to have it in, you know, all the major, like, you know, tourist gift centers at castles and airports and places where tourists and visitors will be able to see it and kind of get that introduction to it right when they set foot in the country. Okay, great. You have a history as a, as a travel writer, and I think you're, you're also, beyond your books, you're writing a blog, The Hippie Chick in the Highlands. Is that correct? Hippie Chick's Guide to the Highlands. That's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I've been so busy writing these books. Um, it'll be three books in about eight months. Um, so I've been a little bit busy with that and going to school full time. So my blog has yet to be really launched, but I'm hoping after the first year, I'm going to turn some of my things I've talked about briefly on Facebook into longer blog posts and just really get out there and start delving into the history and culture of Scotland and meeting artisans. Like today, when you mentioned I, I went to a kilt maker shop today um, and I had learned how they made kilts, you know, or got a little glimpse of that. I want to go deeper into those kind of stories and, and learn about the old ways that people are still doing today in Scotland, as well as like the food and the different places that people live, some really amazing remote places um, and old, interesting properties and just interesting lifestyles. And yeah, there's so much to discover here. I'm just really excited to get out there. My thanks as always to my guest, Kimberly Hamilton, for sharing with us her love of Scotland and its animals. Rebel Cats is in bookstores now, Rebel Dogs out soon, and be sure to keep an eye out for Scotland's Animal Superstars, be published by Kranikin Books. I'm excited to read it as I've already enjoyed Rebel Cats, and as a cat lover myself, I found it perfectly entertaining and informative. <laughs> Sorry about that. For more information and photos, be sure to see the short blog and links on our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. Next time, just as Scots and the diaspora around the world will be sitting down to burn suppers of Scottish delicacies like Cullen Skink, Haggis Neeps and Taddies, Lamb Sausages, Kranikin, and, of course, Whiskey, we'll talk with Ruth Watson, founder of the Grassroots Campaign to Keep Scotland the Brand, including its importance to the Scottish economy, international trade, and, of course, to Scottish crofters, as well as food and drink producers. That's next time. Until then, I'm Glenn Moyer. Tapalev, Agus Alpha Gubra. Under the Tartan Sky is a production of Glenn L. Moyer Creative Communications. For show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. Have an idea for a future episode? Or get in touch via email at info at underthetartansky.scot. Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter where our username is at underscore Tartan Sky. That's the underscore symbol Tartan Sky. And thank you for listening. <laughs>